0: So the next speaker is Rebecca Larson from Tudors Dynasty or Dynasty, depending on how you say it, TudorsDynastyDynasty.com. And I'm so glad to have you here because I've been reading your blog for a long time and I love it. So let let me just introduce... Rebecca, American by birth, but English at heart. Rebecca Larson is the owner of TudorsDynasty.com, and she loves researching all things Tudor. Her favorite thing about the dynasty is all of the drama, and that's what she's going to talk about today. There's so many scandals, and there's never a dull moment in the Tudor court, is there? It's like a soap opera. It is. It definitely is. (laughs) So I guess we'll jump right into the the talk and the questions, what, what initially had you, that, that's what got you started in this period, right? It was kind of the, the drama.
1: You know, Henry VIII, to me, he is so intriguing and I tend to focus more on his era because I feel like there was so much that happened in that, what, 36 years that he reigned that it's so easy to focus on him. So in the last couple of years, I've really, really focused on his reign and what happened during his reign and his six wives, because there's so much drama that comes with his six wives that it is, it's like a soap opera and I love soap operas, so I get my drama by researching the tutors
0: <laughs> that's awesome so you have a couple of scandals that you want to tell us about right
1: I, I do and you know and it was hard to narrow down which ones were my favorite or which ones were the most scandalous of all of them mm-hmm. but I would have to say I would start with um Henry VIII's affair with Anne Stafford the Duke of Buckingham's sister yeah to me and that one blows it out of the water yeah and it's, uh, you know, we hear about most of it from a letter from, I believe he was an ambassador um, working for Ferdinand II of Aragon, Catherine of Aragon's father. Mm-hmm. And so he's reporting back to somebody that he knew about the scandal that was happening at the Tudor court. Mm-hmm. And it's all surrounded around Anne Stafford and her sister, Elizabeth, who was a favorite of Catherine of Aragon. And he talks about that both Stafford sisters were living in the palace Elizabeth was a favorite of Queen Catherine and Anne was a favorite of the king supposedly. And so what time period is this? What year? This years? is this is about 1510. Okay. So, Just after you know, marriage. he's he's new, you know, to the throne. Supposedly him and Catherine are still in love, but I believe at this time she may have been pregnant.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um so it was it was normal then for a reigning monarch, especially a male to find his affections elsewhere maybe that's the the best way to say it (laughs) so he reached out as usual to you know somebody who is close to the queen Um, and the story goes that they believe that William Compton who was a friend of Henry VIII Mm -hmm. helped to arrange all of this Mm -hmm. and so Compton would probably set up where they would meet maybe he would escort Anne to a room where the king would meet her and they would have their little affair, let's call it. <laughs> and eventually, Anne's sister, Elizabeth, figured it out. Either she figured it out, or Anne told her, or, you know, one way or another, her sister found out. Okay. And when her sister found out, she then approached their brother, the Duke of Buckingham. Okay. So we're talking Edward Stafford now. And when she approached the Duke of Buckingham, of course, he was like, oh, we got to put a stop to this. She's going to give her family a bad name. So they had like a a little meeting between the Duke of Buckingham, Elizabeth Stafford, her husband, um, which I have to find his name here. Her husband, Robert Radcliffe, the first Earl of Sussex. And then also Anne's husband, because she was married at the time of this affair. Um, And that
0: was level to it.
1: Yeah, right. Exactly. And that was George Hastings. He was the first Earl of Huntington. So they have this little conference, basically, to discuss what they're going to do. And then the next thing we know, Edward Stafford, the Duke of Buckingham, is visiting his sister Anne in her private apartments, and William Compton shows up.
0: Oh.
1: And he's like, what are you doing here, you know, basically. And they have this big altercation. Words are exchanged. And afterwards, Henry VIII finds out how Buckingham treated his friend and he wasn't very happy. So he had words with Buckingham. The following day then, so it just keeps getting better, right? <laughs> then the following day, Buckingham leaves court and he's gone for days, but also Anne Stafford or Anne Hastings and her husband leave. And so her husband takes her to a convent about 60 miles away to get her away from court. So I'm assuming at this time word was beginning to spread Mm -hmm. There's a lot of embarrassment for the Stafford family. So they all start to disperse. Mm -hmm. And then Henry VIII gets upset because he realized that Elizabeth Stafford, the favorite of the queen, was the one who started all of this. She is the one who figured it out. And so, of course, then with retribution, he kicks Elizabeth Stafford and her husband out of court too. And then Queen Catherine finds out and then they have words. And, you know, it's just a soap opera. How did Catherine react to that? She wasn't happy. You know, they quarreled, but then I think it just kind of ended there was, you know, because she was just the consummate queen. She was able to handle it. I think a lot of stuff happened behind doors that we don't know about, but I feel like she knew Henry was king and there wasn't much that she could do about it. Right, right.
0: Now, I'm curious about how it was such a disgrace because that's different. And this wasn't part of the, I'm kind of off the cuffing here with this, but you know, you see sometimes it's like the whole story of how Anne Boleyn's family is portrayed as like pushing her pushing the yeah. daughters that way. So it's interesting that the Duke of Buckingham saw this as, as a disgrace. Um, do you, is it Was it because she was married, do you think?
1: I think that had a lot to do with it. I mean, she was a married woman, and that's something that became Henry VIII's MO later on, because he realized too that, hey, if I mess around with a married woman, and she gets pregnant, more than likely, people are gonna assume it's her husband's and not mine. So less scandal there for him as well. Right. But yeah, I can imagine for the Buckingham family, you know, they were top of the line when it came to royals. I mean, he could have been considered an heir to the throne, basically, if they didn't have any children. And to have some kind of scandal like that would really put a dark cloud over the family. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Right?
0: So then, jumping ahead for years, the Seymour, Thomas Seymour, We've got oh,
1: something like that, is. right? You know, I love Thomas Seymour. I've been researching him for a little over a year now because I want to write a book about him. And I always feel like maybe he's a little misunderstood. Mm. A lot of people don't agree with me. And I keep trying to find more research material to prove that, you know, maybe he wasn't such a bad guy. Wow. Maybe he's just a product of his time and the stuff that happened around him. And, you know, I feel like if I were in his shoes, I would have reacted the same way to some of the stuff that happened. Mm. Um, But yeah, if we, if we look at Thomas Seymour and after the death of Henry VIII, um, that's kind of when things started to unravel for him, unfortunately. We don't really hear too much about him prior to that, you know, other than the little things that he did here and there and being the brother of Queen Jane Seymour, there really wasn't too much that you heard about him until after Henry VIII died and then things got kind of crazy for him. So he proposes via letter to Elizabeth, who I'll refer to as Princess Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. He he supposedly writes her a letter and proposes to her. Of course, we don't have this letter to look at, it doesn't exist, but we have her response to his letter where she mentions how he proposed to her. Now she is about 13 years old at the time. Thomas Seymour is about 40. Quite an age difference, but you know, that that unusual though. No, not not for back then. Modern day standards, yeah, that would be sick, right? That's what people say all the time. That's just sick. But we're talking about the 1500s, so. <laughs> so she writes him back a letter. You know, she's very flattered um, by his proposal, and um, she says, you know, unfortunately, my father, the king, has just died, and I need a proper mourning period. Basically, that's her way of letting him down easy. She's like, oh, you know what? Sorry, my dad just died, and I really need to mourn for a couple years. Yeah, Probably, you know, if it was like modern day, it'd be like, ah, I'm just going to give it some time, and if it cools down after that and you don't propose to me again, I'm, I'm all right with that. Yeah. So, so he takes it, and he's probably like, okay, well, that's not going to work out for me. Mm-hmm. Then he goes back to Catherine Parr, and catherine and he had had some type of relationship prior to her marrying henry the 8th and they had wanted to get married but then henry came into the picture here's the drama again and snatched her away and so this woman that i think he was in love with got taken away was married to the king and then The king sends him away, basically, because then there's no competition there. His wife isn't going to think about this other man. So after Elizabeth turns him down, then Thomas Seymour goes back to Catherine Parr. And um, I'm assuming, you know, tells her how much he loves her and he misses her and how much he would like to marry, marry her now that Henry's out of the picture. Little does Catherine know that he's already proposed to Elizabeth. So that's the part, you know, that part upsets me a little bit. Like, oh, that's, you know, it's kind of sick, but it is what it is. And, you know, I do feel like he was a little bit power hungry. He was looking for something that was his and that would give him a little bit more power. And because his brother was the protector then at that point, right? Correct. So- yeah. Yeah, so his his brother was made Lord Protector. He was kind of hoping to be named maybe governor of the king's body since Edward was so young, and he didn't get that title. Instead, you know, he became a baron and became Lord High Admiral, but I think he wanted more out of that. He wanted more power, more money, and so by marrying Catherine, the Dowager queen – he saw probably also saw that as a way to become more prestigious at court and for people to respect him a little bit more than they had at the moment, okay. which makes me sad. I, like, I always feel so bad for Thomas because I feel like he could have had so much and then Edward took it all away from him. But I don't know that. Obviously, I wasn't there. And these are the things that I read. And um, I'm just starting now to read more on Edward Seymour to learn a little bit more about that part. But. Anyway, I'm getting distracted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so he and Catherine then marry secretly and did not get the permission of the lord for protector which they should have. Mm-hmm. And so they try to find a roundabout way to get the permission. And so they write to the king, Edward VI, you know, he loves Catherine, she was like a mother to him and he loves his uncle Thomas and eventually they get his permission. You know, to marry, you know, and it's funny how that comes about, too, because Thomas Seymour hires John Fowler, who's, you know, I would say like an assistant to the king and tries to get him to name Catherine as somebody that he should marry. Well, it doesn't quite work out that way because, you know, he mentions um, Anne of Cleves, you know, maybe you should marry Anne of Cleves. And I'm sure he's like, why would I want to marry her, you know? And then after that, then he names his sister, Mary, who would later become Queen Mary the first to help change her ways. So he's hoping that if Thomas Seymour marries his sister, it's going to change her from being a Catholic maybe. Well, that wasn't what he wanted to hear either, but eventually he came around after being, you know, Fowler's hinting to him about what about Catherine? And he's like, yeah, no, go ahead. You know, I think you can marry my stepmom. That's great. They were already married, mind you, so then they got their permission doing it that way. So, as you know, Thomas, he did everything the wrong way, unfortunately. (laughs) So
0: why, what's the redeeming qualities that you find about him?
1: I just feel like... Maybe I relate to him a little bit. You know, I'm a middle child and I always felt like I had to fight for everything that I wanted and things weren't handed to me. And maybe I feel like that's how things were for Thomas, too. He was the the younger son and he wasn't expected to have all these great things. And then his sister becomes Queen of England. And she dies, but yet he's got this nephew, and the future is looking bright because, oh my gosh, soon, you know, whenever Henry VIII dies, I'm gonna be uncle to the king, and I'm gonna have all this power, and life is gonna be great. And then when it happens, it's so anticlimactic for him, I think. It was like, oh, this is gonna be great. And then it's, you know, oh, okay, well, this is all I get, and my brother has everything. So I think there was some jealousy, but I do feel like him and Edward you know, liked each other for the most part. I just feel like there was some jealousy and other things that would contribute to them not getting along, like their wives. Yeah.
0: So the drama didn't end when he married Catherine though, right? It went on from there.
1: It did, especially when we talk about the Queen's jewels. I don't know how much you know about the Queen's jewels, but um, Edward's wife, Anne, Stanhope, um, felt like as the wife of the Lord Protector, she was like, the first lady, she deserved whatever a queen would have since there was no Queen of England at the time. Granted, Catherine Parr was the Dowager Queen, so she still had the title. So Anne Stanhope was hoarding the jewels, saying, these are mine, you can't have them. And then Catherine Parr was going back going, no, some of these things and the Queen's jewels were given to me by King Henry VIII. They are mine. Give them to me. And so they kept quarreling back and forth. And then the husbands got involved trying to clear it up. and, And then we have instances where they were, and I don't remember if they were at church or where it was, but they were walking in a procession. And Anne Stanhope kind of, you know, tried to nudge Catherine out of the way, like, I should be in front of you because I'm the wife of the Lord Protector. And yeah, just girls, right?
0: (laughs) And then once there, wasn't there even more drama with Elizabeth then with the, in the household?
1: Yes. There was.
0: (laughs) I I hate talking about
1: it. I always feel like there's so much more to the story that we don't know. Yeah. Um, we hear the stories about what Cat Ashley says happened, and I'm always very skeptical to believe everything that she says. Mm-hmm. I feel like she there was part of her that really liked Thomas Seymour because you know towards the end she had pushed Elizabeth to marry him after mm-hmm. Catherine Part died, but I always feel like there was a part of her that was just trying to protect herself too. So when she gets, you know, taken to the tower and interrogated, I'm sure she's fearing for her life at this time going, what can I say to get myself out of this? And then she starts talking about the inappropriate times that he came into our bedchamber and, you know tried kissing her and, and then the cutting up of her dress. And yeah. I feel like there, there might be a bit of truth to some of that because there, I think like there always is, it's always good to exaggerate a little bit when you're trying to get yourself out of a situation. So there might be a bit of truth, but I just feel like she exaggerated so much just to save herself. Now I'll never know for sure, but this is just, it's my gut feeling. Like is the whole country- the only source on that. That's all I have found so far. And I could be forgetting. There's so much, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you feel the same way. Like you read so many books and different contemporary sources. After a while they all kind of jumble together and yet they all become one for you. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. So we'll we'll skim over over that part. <laughs> Thank and,
1: you. But then Catherine dies and
0: Yes yeah so
1: when she dies that's it's so sad and and Thomas Seymour was by her side you know as she's dying and a lot of people see that as him just making show you know like I'm here my wife is dying but I feel like he really loved her Mm -hmm. maybe I shouldn't say love I feel like he really cared for her because I don't know that he felt the love for her that she felt for him Mm -hmm. I feel like she was in it all the way but Thomas was just kind of in it he cared for her and what she could bring to him, mm-hmm. so she dies, and he's you know grieving beyond all belief, and he can't even you know put together the funeral, and he's not there, and a lot of people see that just as him being selfish, so that makes me sad.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then later down the road, he you know tries to to talk Elizabeth into marrying him again, mm-hmm. because now he's a he's a widower, and uh, he's looking for a powerful wife, and who else but Elizabeth is available. <laughs> she's a, she's still heir to the throne after her sister mary and and you know sister to the king so he sees her as a good power play again so he goes back okay. and starts working on her and that's when cat ashley starts pushing her towards agreeing to the marriage and elizabeth says well i'll marry him basically if parliament and council tells me i should marry him but until somebody tells me to marry him i can't agree to it mm-hmm. clever <laughs> right she was so smart she was and you know that she's one person that i can't wait to really start reading more about because she really was intelligent she had a lot of both of her parents in her yeah definitely the 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 cleverness and the wit of anne boleyn but yet she was so stoic you know just like her father it's it's great yeah
0: so was there anything else on on thomas seymour that you wanted to to add well yes Thank you, because I
1: I totally, totally skipped the whole Mary Howard thing. I just passed by in time and skipped Mary Howard because she fascinates me, too. And there were a couple times when she was proposed to marry Thomas Seymour as well. Mm -hmm. And the king was all for it. He thought this would be a great match because, of course, she was his Mm -hmm. ex-daughter-in-law. She was now the widow of his son, Henry Fitzroy. And um, he was like, yeah, let's do this. It seemed like the Duke of Norfolk was into it, mm-hmm. but Mary wanted nothing to do with it. She was not interested in marrying Thomas Seymour. Um, and her brother, Henry, <laughs> Henry Howard, Earl of Surrey, of course, you know, felt like any made man or somebody who Henry VIII raised who didn't come from the noblest of blood didn't deserve to be that close to a Howard right. or maybe that close to the throne. So my favorite parts in this drama, in this soap opera, is when Surrey proposes to his sister that she becomes the mistress of Henry VIII, <laughs> right? And so she's thinking, uh, first of all, this is like her father-in-law, her ex-father-in-law. He's obese at this time, probably might be a little bit stinky too from the ulcer in his leg and and she's like, I would rather slit my throat than marry, you know, or then be the mistress of the king. And I'm sure Surrey's intention is, well, if I, if I push my sister to become mistress, eventually she might be able to become Queen of England. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the best way to go about it. Mm-hmm. And that eventually, you know, was the beginning of the downfall of Surrey too, and his execution. Interesting. Seymour was involved in a lot of stuff there, wasn't he? He was. Yes. So that's what I feel like makes his life so interesting. And nobody's written a book about him. There's only like one book, but it's so old and it's very factual. So I want mine to be more of a storytelling and I don't want to give it all away because I've been working on it so hard, but I hope to be able to show people the side of him that I see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that'll be exciting. I love those kinds
0: of things where you look at somebody who's maybe seen as a villain and then like humanize them or.
1: Right. And that's exactly what I want to do. Exactly. And it's, you know, it's a work in progress. I might have it done in 10 years. Have the pace I'm going. <laughs> you know, it's so hard to find time to do everything. I don't know how authors do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a full-time job, you know, I do marketing during the day. And I'm a mom and I'm a wife and it's like, when do you find time? I do a podcast and I write for a website and then try and write a book at the same time. It's it's, sometimes it can get a little bit overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you can relate. (laughs) I definitely can. I definitely can.
0: So, um, Ann and Henry, Anne Boleyn and Henry.
1: Uh, You're next. Oh my gosh. Isn't that like the story of drama at the Tudor courts? (laughs) I just feel like everybody loves Anne and maybe not everybody, but the story of, of them to me is so amazing. And I recently um, wrote a blog about my understanding of Anne Boleyn and who I think she is. You know, I read Eric Ives' book on her, which gave me a little eye opener on, you know, what he taught us about who she was and the information that he was able to find about her. Mm-hmm. And then not that long ago, I, I read, um, Alison Weir's book mm-hmm. on her, her newest one, The King's Obsession. And, you know, ahead of time, I had heard that, you know, maybe she wasn't so friendly towards Anne. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go into this with an open mind mm-hmm. and, see what i take out of it every book i read i try to do that i'm going to go into this with an open mind and see what happens and then maybe do some more research afterwards to help me get a better understanding and i felt like from reading those books that those two and a couple other ones about Anne that i feel like you know when the when the king pursued her she wasn't really that interested from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I feel like she was still a little bit jaded about the Percy incident and how she wanted to marry Henry Percy and, mm-hmm. and, you know, um, Woolsey stopped that from happening. I don't know for certain if Henry VIII had much to do with that, or if that was all a Woolsey thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I suspect it was mostly Woolsey um, because Henry VIII did didn't really start falling in love with her until like 1525. But even then, she seemed kind of resistant to it. You know, her sister Mary had been the mistress to the king, and how awkward would that be, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, you slept with my sister, and now you're coming after me. And that's a little bit weird, but you're the king, and I can't tell you no. Yeah. So all I'm going to say is you can't sleep with me unless we get married. Mm-hmm. And so what are the odds that something like that would even happen? Like, what are the
0: odds that he would leave Catherine to marry her? You know, it's like, she could assume that it wasn't going to
1: happen. Right. Exactly. You know, she was just the, the fling of the moment, Mm -hmm. um, and that Henry might change his mind. And I think Catherine felt the same way too. She thought, well, he'll get over her just as he had Mm -hmm. any other woman that he had been with. Sure. And so it didn't, that didn't happen. And his love for her grew as, you know, we saw in his letters, which I love reading those because he just sounds like a puppy in love, mm-hmm. just fawning over her saying how much he wants to be with her and how much he misses her. And I'm sure it was flattering to her, but I still feel like she didn't really love him. I don't think she was in love with Henry. Mm-hmm. I think she just finally succumbed to his pursuits and then said, okay, well, I'll take the power that comes with being, you know, with the king and eventually being queen of England. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's so interesting. And, you know, I tried to put myself in her shoes and say, what would I have done? Mm-hmm. And of course, I don't understand what it was like to live during that time because I grew up in the 20th and 21st century. Mm-hmm. But the idea of, well, I can't really say no to the king. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to roll with the punches and you know, find ways to advance my cause instead. So she just kind of went with it and I'm sure she cared for him, but I don't think she loved him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she was able to kind of go forward a little bit with the Reformation ideas that she had read in books. Mm -hmm. Um, But I feel like Cromwell really went with that. I think she had ideas, but he kind of took it a little bit further than she wanted. But then we get to the end you know, when Henry's tiring of Anne and she hasn't given him a son and only a daughter, mm-hmm. and we come to all the trumped up charges, you know against her, like, I feel so bad for her. like clearly, she didn't sleep with her brother because that's not something that I don't know her, but I feel like that's not something that she would have done. Mm-hmm. And she didn't sleep with all these other men, you know, poor Mark Smeaton, I'm sure he just confessed, you know, be after being tortured you know, like just make this stop. Yes, we slept together several times, even though the dates that he said they slept together, they weren't at the same place. And, you know, you'd think he'd put two and two together. And I'm sure some people did, you know, at court going, wait, that's not even possible. But were they going to tell the king that? Were they going to say, no, you're wrong? Yeah. This didn't happen. And so then, poor Anne ends up having to be executed, and you know, I just I feel for every time I watch any movie or any TV series where you get to the end and she's on the scaffold and she is so stoic, and you know she's telling everybody to love the king, and he is such a gracious prince, and and I just like almost want to throw up because I'm like, oh, he was awful to you at the end. How can you say these things? Mm. But she really didn't have a choice. They had a daughter and. Yeah. She, she had to make sure that Elizabeth was well taken care of.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: Um, so speaking of
0: daughters, Catherine and Arthur and protecting daughters' rights.
1: Yes.
0: Um, I read your blog or I you did a podcast or
1: something on um what did they or didn't they? Yes, I did both. I've come to realize lately that I do a podcast and then I just turn it into an article for those who aren't interested in listening to me. Um, So that one, I feel like, you know, now that you've read it, of course you have an idea of where I go with it, but I feel like, you know, Arthur was sickly when he was younger. Everybody knew this. He was supposedly premature. Some might say maybe they slept together and, you know, And uh, Arthur was created before they were married, depends on which way you go with it, but let's say he was premature, Um, so his health was, you know, always a little bit poor, Um, and they get married in 1501, I think he's like 15 years old, Mm -hmm. and Catherine's about the same age, and the night after the wedding, you know, he tells his men how thirsty he is and how he's been in Spain all night and how, you know, being a husband is thirsty work. And mm-hmm. it all just seems like so much boasting yeah. when maybe nothing happened. You know, we, we don't know for certain, you know, what happened or what didn't happen. But it, it, part of it does seem like it, maybe it was a little bit of a show mm-hmm. um, for the men. I don't know. How do you feel about it? I don't think they did because also the other part was, wasn't the
0: marriage was actually delayed like two or three times because of concerns over his health. Right. So that's
1: true. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I, and I also, I mean, I, you brought up in your article that she might have imperiled her mortal soul to protect her daughter, but you know, I think when you look at those, those confessions that people make, it's so difficult for us now to put ourselves in those positions because we live in quite a secular kind of world and to be able to, you know, comprehend pre-enlightenment when like that was real. Like if you said the wrong thing on your deathbed and you lied on your death, like you were going to eternal fire and damnation. Nice and she really believed that like she was very devout right i don't think she, she was. lied about it and i don't think she would have been as certain in her cause and as stubborn about it if she hadn't had that but
1: isn't it interesting and it's always the conversation where you're one way or another and i'm always so torn on this one because some part of me always thinks like No, it didn't happen. Why would she, you know, say it didn't happen if it did because she was so pious? Why would she condemn her immortal soul? And, and then, you know, part of me goes, you know, she confessed in front of people to Compagio you know, she wanted people to hear her confession to him. And then I think, well, maybe that was for show. Maybe she just wanted people to hear her confess it. And that when she was on her deathbed, and this was something I mentioned in my article too, when she was on her deathbed, that maybe she confessed to a trusted priest, you know, that was, that's, private information they're not supposed to divulge that and if he was loyal to her then he wouldn't come out and say oh by the way yeah she was lying the whole time so that would save her soul at the end and she was very politically astute so she was something like that I know and that's where I'm so torn on the whole thing because part of me goes well if she said they didn't then they didn't and then the other part of me goes well maybe it's possible that they did, and she was just trying to protect the rights of her daughter in the end. Yeah, but I think
0: that whole Arthur's health thing points to, to me, that weighs more than her confession or unconfession. I don't know.
1: It's a, it's a good point. <laughs> but maybe they did,
0: maybe they didn't.
1: I know, and we'll never know, and people will always be torn on this. I know, I know. Ugh.
0: So, um, well, we aren't going to solve that, sadly. No! no. <laughs> so then there was another scandal, even in Henry's household, with his sister.
1: Yes, his sister Mary. Yeah. So I believe it was in 1514, he tells his sister Mary, you are going to marry the King of France. And she's like, no! He's like ancient, right? He is. He was in his 50s, you know, and she was like 18. And she's thinking, you know, he's old and he's gross and you're going to make me go marry him. Of course, she was gorgeous, always reported as the most beautiful lady at courts. Mm. Um, And so she says, "Okay, fine, I'll go ahead and I'll marry him. But when he dies, I want you to promise me that I get to marry whomever I would like. And supposedly Henry says, "Okay, I'll make that promise to you. Well, some have said that Mary and Charles had already had a little something going on before she went to France. Now, I haven't read up a whole lot on that part, but that's definitely a possibility. I'm sure there was some flirting happening and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so she goes to France, and she becomes the Queen of France, and a few months later, you know, King Louis dies. And here she is, you know, now she's the widow, the Dowager Queen of France, and... She's got to spend a couple of months there because they want to make sure that she's not carrying the King's son. And so she's locked away for a while. And then eventually they figure out that she's not pregnant and she wants to go home. You know, she wants to get out of there. She doesn't want to spend the time in France and Henry sends Charles Brandon over to escort her back. And that's, and that's when the trouble started and I feel like Mary was probably pretty persuasive. And the situation, you know, she even says in her letter to, to her brother, you know, he didn't push this. It was me. It was me all along. How could he say no? And, you know, Charles is talking about how much she's cried and cried about this. And, and, and then they had, you know, the, the new king of France, Francis I you know it was all for it eventually he was like yeah you guys should get married <laughs> and so so they get married and of course without the permission of king henry the 8th which was a no no right. and um and then they have to, you know, like, like a dog with a tail between their legs, write them letters and say, you know, this is what we did. Please forgive us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, he, he condemned them for a while and were like, I can't believe you did this without my permission. I never made this promise to you. How could you do this, sister? And they ended up having to pay a bunch of fines and eventually were welcomed back to court. But how is that for family drama? <laughs>
0: that's crazy right there
1: (laughs) I feel like Mary had a way I mean I feel like she had Henry wrapped around her finger I mean she was his favorite his little sister Mm -hmm. she had a way to get what she wanted and you know and it turned out great I think because Charles Brandon was you know one of his best friends and they stayed married for a long time and unfortunately you know she died and early you know she wasn't very old I, and I don't I think she died was it of tuberculosis maybe mm-hmm. or am I wrong okay tuberculosis. I might, don't, don't get mad at me I might be confusing it with the tv shows so really? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah cuz there's all those scenes in the TV show where she's yes.
0: Up the blood. No, I do think it was tuberculosis though.
1: Okay. Okay. So yeah, that was that was definitely some some sibling drama at the Tudor court. You got to love that. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how people reacted to all of this. Like I'm sure I'm sure there was like a shock and awe going on there. It was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe she did that without Henry's permission, but good for her, you know, because yeah, yeah, I'm sure they loved her. I'm sure she was just, you know, very likable. Yeah. And they yeah. wanted her to have what she wanted, but they also understood that it was her duty as a princess yeah. to be farmed out to whoever the king, you know, wished her to be farmed to.
0: Yeah. Farmed.
1: That's a weird <laughs> word to use. <laughs> kind of true, though. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> um
0: so then another sad it's a scandal but it's quite sad with Mary and her phantom pregnancies I have such a soft spot in my heart for Mary I feel so bad I
1: do too I you know my heart breaks for her because she had such a rough life you know once Henry VIII set his eyes on Anne Boleyn and you know wanted to set Catherine aside and have the Divorce or the annulment happened. Mm-hmm. It felt like once Catherine started pushing his buttons, is that that's when he started mistreating Mary? Like he took it out on Mary because her mother was, you know, being mean to him, not giving him what he wanted. And all and she, she was wanted, a I'm teenager sure, teenager then, so it was such a bad time in her life, right? Like, yes, about horrible time for that to happen. Right. Cause all we want when we're teenagers is just to be accepted and loved, you know, especially by our parents, but stay away for a while. I have a teenage son. He's 13. Yeah. So it's like, mom, I love you, but get away from me. That's, <laughs> that's where we're at right now. Um, but poor Mary, you know, all she wanted was a family. She just wanted her father to love her. I mean, what was the nickname he used to have for her? The Pearl? Yeah. The Pearl, of In- Pearl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, she was daddy's little girl and then all of this happened with Anne Boleyn. And I feel like she became so bitter mm-hmm. toward Anne and then Elizabeth at the beginning there mm-hmm. and, you know, felt bad for her mother, that her, excuse me, that her mother was going through all of this. And then when her mom dies, you know, then she has to look at Anne Boleyn being the only rightful queen left at that time and, and Anne, you know, wanting her to basically bow to her and say it and and Mary's like, oh, I really don't want to and she's being coaxed by Wee to say you need to, to accept this and, and do it, you know, for your own life, basically. Yeah. So, poor Mary. I just am brokenhearted. So, when she finally becomes queen... And she's looking for a husband. you know, I feel like she would do anything to be connected to Spain and her mother. And so when the when the marriage possibility happened with Philip the uh, second, second, first, Philip of Spain. <laughs> uh, when that happened, she was probably over the moon because she was excited to have anything with Spain. And so when they got married, You know, she had never been with a man before. She wasn't a young lady at this point. I mean, she was probably almost 40 at this time, I believe. And, um, or over 40 maybe. And um, she just wanted to have a family. That was her big thing. She just wanted to be able to have a family and have the family that she always wanted. Um, And unfortunately, it just wasn't in the cards for her. I mean, the first time she got pregnant, Everybody thought she was pregnant, you know, all the doctors, everybody. Mm -hmm. And after a while, they started realizing, oh, something's not right here. She hasn't had this baby yet. Well, maybe we had our dates off. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe we should wait a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. And the longer they waited, then they realized, oh, okay, this baby isn't going to happen you know, and imagine yeah, how
0: entered confinement and all of it. So they had yes. the big ceremony for her to enter her confinement and everybody's waiting from the church bells. Wasn't there a thing that the church bells actually peeled at one point? Cause they, there was a rumor. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So everybody thought she had had a son. I, w- I want to say somebody also wrote a letter to, King Ferdinand to tell him that she had a son and she really she obviously hadn't had a child at all. Mm-hmm. So that must have been so embarrassing for her, you know. Could you imagine all she wanted was this child and then it didn't come and then everybody knew. Yeah. It would just be awful. And then I believe the next time she got pregnant was when Philip had come back from Spain. He had been gone for a while and they spent some time together. Um, and I don't remember if he left and then she discovered she was pregnant or if he was still there, but that one, once again, you know, turned out just to be a phantom pregnancy. I think it had more to do with, you know, whatever was ailing her, whether it was uterine cancer or ovarian or what it was, but there was clearly something wrong in order to have her stomach distend the way that it was for people to think she was pregnant. Yeah. It's just heartbreaking. No. And I feel so bad whenever I post something about her phantom pregnancies. I always, you know, mention how the story breaks my heart. And then you get those who just hate her, who cannot feel any sympathy for her. And I just think she was a woman, you know, how mm-hmm. can you not feel for her? I don't care how many Protestants she burned. No. She still shouldn't have had to feel that loss that she did in that embarrassment.
0: And Elizabeth actually burned almost as
1: many Catholics so. Right? <laughs> I know. And what do they say? And Henry VIII executed thousands of people, yeah. yet Mary gets singled out as the bad one, which I just, I don't understand at all. Well,
0: there's going to be equal opportunity because Melita Thomas from Tudor Times is talking about Mary because her new book is called The King's Pearl. Yes.
1: Yeah. I am really looking forward to reading that book, too. So I'm, I'm really happy. And I really want somebody to do a TV series on Mary. Okay. She needs it. We should all get together and pitch it. To somebody. I think so, too.
0: There's that new history channel in the UK, History Hit, that Dan Snow is doing. We could pitch yes. it. Yes. Oh, that's a great idea. I'll get started on that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we all need
1: a of, petition.
0: Oh, all of us together. We'll just, like, figure out who and we'll, like, do it. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> Let's keep this part in, and then all the participants can also tweet. So tweet at Dan Snow at History Hit and say that all of us should do History <laughs> That is a
1: fantastic idea, Heather. We should do it.
0: Okay. <laughs> awesome. Um, now let's see where, what other scandals that we've got here. So we we have like three more that we have on our list here.
1: Yeah. And we don't have to cover them all, but you know, the, the short lived marriage of Anne of Cleves and Henry the eighth, yeah. you know, I just, uh, another one. I'm like, I just feel for Anne of Cleves. Like she was thrown into this situation. Mm-hmm. Um, Henry, you know, was married to Jane Seymour, and she died after the birth of Edward, and he was single for a while, and then, of course, started looking for a new bride. Cromwell was, you know, on the hunt trying to find him a new bride, and he starts looking at some French women, and, you know, he's very interested. I believe it was in Marie, Marie of Guise, and um, she ended up marrying James V, so that was out of the picture, but she had sisters, and and at one point, they had t- they had asked the ambassador of France if they could bring a bunch of the women over so Henry could get a look at them, and he was like, I that quote.
0: <laughs> like "Would he like to feel them all or something
1: first too?" Right? right? <laughs> uh, I mean, I you can't blame him. Like, what a pig, Henry! Seriously. Yeah. So then, you know, they go through and. Um, uh, Christina of Milan was another option, of course, because she was the niece of um, Charles V, so that would give him an alliance with the the Holy Roman Emperor, which was good, because there was always fighting with France or the Empire, and so if you could find an alliance with one of them, fantastic, mm-hmm. and um, that didn't quite turn out the way that he had hoped, as well. You know, he got a, a painting, Holbein, you know, painted her, and he thought she was absolutely gorgeous. And at the same time, Francis I um, was trying to get his son, I believe, um, the Duke of Orleans, um, trying to get a marriage agreement between Christina and him. And, you know, the, there were delays, and all of this stuff happened. And Christina was like, I am not marrying Henry VIII you know, I would if I had two heads because she had heard the stories. And it's like, you can't blame her. You really can't because the stories that were probably going around about Henry were just atrocious. Like what a pig, you know, he divorces one, he beheads another, another one dies from, from poor service around child, you know, childbirth. and And so the thought of anybody marrying him was probably terrifying for any woman and then Cromwell comes across the Duke of Cleves you know who were you know Protestants or Lutherans and Mm -hmm. um they were opposed to the the emperor so that was you know that was good for Henry because then he'd have some boots on the ground and an ally there and and he uh he has two sisters to choose from he's got Anne and Amelia and um Henry wants to see what they look like. And of course, he sends Holbein over again to paint the portraits. And he sees the portrait of Anne of Cleves, and he thinks she looks great. And he's like, let's move forward. And after much negotiation, they come together with this treaty. And the Duke of Cleves doesn't have to pay a dowry for his sister, which was amazing. Mm. Um, And they were going to have this alliance. and, And then, of course, Anne eventually comes over you know, and this is where Thomas Seymour comes in again, might I say, you know, Seymour and Francis Bryan and some of the other ones head over there to escort her back to England, and they meet up with her in Calais, and, you know, the question is, what were their thoughts when they first saw her? You know, she walks into the room where they're like, oh, this is not what we thought, or oh, she's pretty, you know, because if Holbein's painting said anything, I think she was a very attractive woman. I think some of the... And Holbein
0: was never fired after this. So right. given Henry's proclivity to take his anger out on people, you would think that if the portrait was that off, Holbein would have not been the official
1: painter. Of that's course. a good point. I've never thought of it that way before, <laughs> Heather. No, that's that's a, definitely a good point. So I think she was attractive. I think she just ended up turned off mm-hmm. or he ended up turned off by her because she didn't recognize him when he came in disguise. And that bruised his ego, his big manly ego that she didn't recognize him and didn't fawn over him. Mm-hmm. And he was immediately like, get me out of this. I don't even want to marry her, you know. And Cromwell was like, oh, you're going to have to marry her. We have this treaty and, you know, the wedding's coming up soon. So then they end up getting married. And I'm sure she looked stunning in her wedding dress at the ceremony. And, mm-hmm. and then, you know, they can't con- he can't consummate the marriage. Now, you know, I was go, Henry at this time, he was rather obese. I mean, this is where we're really getting into his bigger years. Mm-hmm. And he was older. So, I mean, there's a possibility that he just couldn't perform. I don't know that it was Anne's fault. Mm-hmm. You know, when he talks about her having loose breasts and, and all these things about her body, I, uh, you know, I've heard others say that he was probably just, you know, referring to himself, basically, right. that he was disgusting. But he couldn't perform because of this. You know, she was no she was no maid, I think is what he said. And and poor Anne was so naive, she didn't even understand what sex was. So she thought they had consummated the marriage. And she talked about him coming into her room and giving him kisses and saying, good morning, sweetheart, and good night, sweetheart. And um, I think it was um, Lady Rutland. I might have that wrong. But Lady Rutland, who said, you know, basically like, oh, honey, that is not sex. (laughs) You're you're never going to get a child that way. And so she didn't even understand like she was so naive to the whole thing mm. that you just wonder like what kind of childhood <laughs> did she have wasn't it like the, the mother's job or some lady close to her mm. to explain to her what to expect on her wedding night? but clearly nobody did yeah yeah poor Anne. but then she
0: made she made out okay even though she probably would have preferred wasn't there that story after he got rid of Catherine howard and she actually thought he was gonna take her back then. And she when he married Catherine Parr, she said, Well, I'm prettier than she is. And she was like kind of yes. upset about that, right?
1: Yes, which always amazed me that she would even be interested in marrying Henry after all the stuff that she got after their divorce or their annulment. I mean, she got to be the queen's the king's sister. I mean, what a great title to have. Yeah. She had property, you know, she had land, she had money, she had everything she could want except for somebody to share it with. So maybe that's what it came down to was you know, she was like, well, Henry and I get along well, you know, we enjoy each other's company, maybe after this whole Catherine Howard incident, maybe he wants to marry me, and then he chose Catherine Parr, and that's where she got a little bitter, and the female came out. <laughs> but for these,
0: for these foreign princesses, you know, they were, they're raised to be queens, like similarly with Catherine of Aragon, mm-hmm. Catherine of Aragon was a grander version mm-hmm. But Anna was raised to be a consort. And so even though she made out good, even though she had everything, she was like brought up thinking that she was going to be a queen consort. And that was like what sure. her life had been. So I could almost kind of see it too, where maybe she didn't even want to be married to Henry, but it was like, dude, this is like what I made for. <laughs> what am I supposed to right. do? I'm like a queen in waiting. That's what my job yeah. is. Yeah, this
1: is what my training, you know, <laughs> prepared me for. I don't and have I training love, you know. to be the king's sister. I have training to be <laughs> a queen. That's what
0: I've been taught here. I didn't learn. And I love sex. I didn't learn about any of this. I just, I know how to be a queen. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how she thought she was going to get an heir that way, but <laughs> the king could can worry about. about that, right? The king. Yeah, that was his job. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do love, you know, I love telling this story, you know, and, and I know I really upset people when I repost the blog that I have about whether or not she had children by him, but it's mm. such a fun story to tell because it's like, well, they got along, you know, you never know, maybe they did. <laughs> and, you know, they, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> they really didn't but the idea of it you know henry going back to her and whispering sweet nothings in her ear and then having at least a child you know i think that's just you know romance thinking oh it all turned out she got what she went well clearly she didn't you know unfortunately but in the end you know she was the last wife standing you know she even lived longer than henry the eighth so good for Anne. yeah yeah
0: good for her and then um Mary Boleyn marrying it without permission of Henry the, and have the man right that was quite the drama too but
1: it it was you know as you can imagine Mary Boleyn lost her first husband to the sweating sickness mm-hmm. and I feel like I feel like she cared for him too but but then after he died and her you know her sister is queen of England and her brother-in-law is the king of England and You know, she was used and abused by Henry VIII, and I felt like she found love, and all she wanted was that love, and so she married him, and she comes back to court announcing that she's married, and they're like, hang on a second, Uh, you didn't ask us if that was okay, and so she gets sent away, basically, Mm -hmm. and she she writes to, I think it's Cromwell, where she talks about how she would rather, I think, beg for bread, you know, with a man who loves her, and it's so romantic. Like, I just want to say like, you know, good for you, Mary. There's so many of those stories where you go, they, they're, these women's lives were all laid out for them. Mm -hmm. You know, you are the daughter you will do as we say, you will marry this person, whether you like it or not. And you will have children. And I feel like when they didn't do those things, I just, you know, I want to give them a high five and go good for you. You got what you wanted in the end. Yeah. Good for her. Um, did she have to get, she didn't even have to go to the tower or anything, did she? No, no, she didn't. And she, you know, was the last surviving Boleyn child too. I don't, I think she lived into the forties okay. if I remember correctly. So, you know, Anne and George were beheaded in 1536, but she was the only one left after that. Well, and so she was like the sole survivor after everything. Yeah. And
0: then real quick, cause I want to give you a chance to talk about your magazine and the stuff that you've got planned. Oh, God. Yes. um, Lady Jane Grey, did she survive? Was she replaced with somebody? Kind
1: of like the idea of Edward V being replaced, too, or. or Right. Yeah. You know, and I had never even thought about it until I read that book before the rain falls. And I thought, what an interesting concept for a book. I would have never even considered something like that being a switch, you know, they switched before the scaffold because not many people knew what she looked like. So they could switch her out with some other girl that had a similar description. And in the book, you know, this girl was sick. She was dying. And in exchange, her family was able to get all this money or land or something and so she sacrificed herself so that Lady Jane Grey could live. And then she ends up living out her life, you know, in the country and mm. nobody's supposed to know until, you know, hundreds of years later when this house is being renovated and they find these letters wow. that are written by Jane Grey. And I was like, that is a very interesting concept. I love the what ifs with Tudor history. You know, one thing changed and it would change. It's like the butterfly effects, right? How many things change because of that? Yeah, yeah,
0: interesting. So these are 10 great scandals, but tell me what else you're working on and, and what other projects you've got going on.
1: Well, like I mentioned, uh, the book, the Thomas Seymour book, is something I've been working on. Um, I'm still working on my podcast. I'm still fairly new to podcasts, I'm not as seasoned as yourself, Heather, um, or, or James Bolton, who I love his podcast too. He's amazing. Um, so I've got the podcast going Um, the Facebook page is a constant work in process Uh, you never realize how much work goes into just making the this day in tutor history that I do uh, almost every day it takes some time and as much as I love doing it there's just some days I don't have time to research it and find the pictures and the information and schedule them so there's that and then I have I've been working on a digital magazine and this is this has been kind of a struggle for me so it's still a work in progress I was hoping to have one done um, this month but that's not gonna happen so at this point maybe I'll shoot for the first month of uh, 2018 let's let's shoot for (laughs) January 2018 and then maybe I'll have one and then what are you gonna cover what's gonna be in your magazine well people seem to like the fake covers that I had been doing which were kind of a a, you know copy put of one up in the Facebook group too so people can see. Yes, yeah. I mean people love it. When you just put a picture of, you know, Queen Elizabeth or Princess Elizabeth on there and you put, you know, something like, is she or isn't she a boy or something like that, or one with Queen Mary about having daddy issues, yeah. you know? And they love those those fake titles of the fake article names. So I'm trying to do something spoofed like that to make it a little bit funny, but with some storytelling at the same time. So maybe the front will just have a funny Title and then the article will be a little bit more serious. Cool. I'm hoping this will grow into something a little bit more fun. There's room for like the Onion, like the Tudor Onion. Oh ooh, that's a good idea. <laughs> I mean, all this extra time I have, right. I should I just start another website. <laughs> <laughs> right. Again, we can all do this together. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're pitching one page at We're. Oh my gosh. So, and you know, as you know, too, you keep yourself very busy with all the different things that you're doing. Yeah, I think we all have so many ideas and things we want to do, but there's just not time. Yeah. Yeah. I say that every day. You have to sleep at some point, right? And that's the sad thing. If I could stay up later than 10 o'clock at night, I could get so much more done. But by 10, I am exhausted and I just want to go to bed. Yeah. Yeah. get you
0: um cool so thank you so much for sharing all of these tutor scandals with us this was great and check out your facebook post or facebook page for those who don't already and tutorsdynasty.com you get all the
1: details so thank you awesome thank you so much heather for having me like i'm so flattered that you were willing to include me in this
0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.